Welcome to the Sharkpreneur Podcast with Kevin Harrington and Seth Green. Kevin Harrington is the inventor of the infomercial, one of the original sharks from the hit TV show Shark Tank, and has generated over $5 billion in TV and digital direct response sales. Seth Green is the world's first trusted authority on cutting edge direct response marketing, a best-selling author, and the only three-time Marketer of the Year nominee. On the podcast, Kevin and Seth interview sharkpreneurs who share straight talk on what it takes to explode your business. Welcome to the Sharkpreneur Podcast. I am your co-host, Seth Green. With me, as always, is the inventor of the infomercial and one of the original sharks on Shark Tank, Kevin Harrington. Kevin, thank you so much for joining us. Seth, great to be here. Thanks thanks again, and uh, it's a great day. Let's, uh, let's have some fun today. All right. Our very special guest today is Paul Barron, the mind behind the Foodable Network, the next era in food media for professionals and foodies alike. His accolades are too long to list, but we'll highlight just a few. Forbes Top 50 Most Influential, Author of the Year, James Beard nominee, Top 35 Restaurant Leaders to Follow in 2017, Trendsetter of the Year 2012, the unique media empire he's building we're going to hear all about today, reaching 250 million global food and travel enthusiasts. Paul, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, Paul, I'm, I'm going to start right out. That's, that's pretty amazing uh, a track record. Um, tell me what is the Foodable Network? Is, is it this a, um, a you know, over-the-top kind of a network, OTT? Are you familiar with that term? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Foodable is kind of a hybrid. Uh, what we started three years ago was a concept to bring high-quality uh, broadcast-level video to professionals, but mostly chefs, operators in the restaurant industry. What's happened, though, in the last three years is our content um, is so great that uh, food enthusiasts have really started to flock to us. So we have a, an immense presence on places like iTunes, our first documentary going out on Amazon and Netflix. So lots of content, but it's kind of the next era food network for the millennial generation when it comes to food enthusiasts and professionals. What inspired you to create it? Well, you know, the, the, initially I started in publishing in the mid-90s and my focus at that time was online and that was kind of the uh, emerging sector of what was happening in media. Uh, so I kind of cut my, my teeth with that, uh, did some magazines, all again, all stayed in the, in the food service side. But one thing that I felt like was always missing was great storytelling. And it is so difficult to do that in any other medium other than video. So we really took uh, to launching a network that was mostly video-based, even though we do have quite a bit of editorial. Video is kind of our backbone. Everything we do is based on uh, data that we do within Foodable Labs that helps drive our stories in video. So that's the whole idea is to tell great stories for the restaurant industry via video. So, so Paul, the, when I think of a network and I think of the, the, the amount of content that's required, um, I think of big, you know, big dollars, right? Expensive production, et cetera, et cetera. So there's always a, you know, kind of an in-between state there of the chicken and the egg of how do you get, you know, all the viewers, you know, you got to have great content, right? And then, but how do you finance all the great content, you know, until you get the, the big distribution, right? So sure. how have you leveraged this and 
what, you know, how much new content are you shooting daily, weekly, monthly, whatever? Well, okay, so that's a really good question because it is a, a chicken or the egg comes first. Um, so what we did was first we actually went after developing audience and the way that we did it before we even launched the network, we were in Skunk Works uh, on YouTube for about two years. So what we did was we used social media uh, and an algorithm that we built uh, that lies within Foodable Labs to target professionals. That helped us build a base of audience. Then we started feeding that audience uh, web TV content on YouTube, which eventually elevated to broadcast and TV level style content, which is where we are today. Now we're at 15 shows on the network. We have some audio podcasts. Um, we also have documentaries, mini series that we're doing constantly. But most of our content, about 70% of our content is all editorially driven. And about 30% is what basically pays the bills. And that's integrated storytelling. So we do a lot inside most people call it native advertising these days but for us uh, it's integrated storytelling that's kind of how we built our network was social was the driving force for audience uh, YouTube was our first step and then we uh, of course got really aggressive uh, growing the network onto our own players and of course iTunes and some of the other distribution points yeah so so do like who's your typical viewer I mean is, is this B to B, B to C, you've got, you know, people, you know, mothers sitting in their kitchens thinking, what am I going to have for dinner tonight? And then yeah. you also have the high level chefs and is it across all spectrums? We are really kind of the uh, more educated viewer for food. Uh, so the way it works is you've got the food enthusiasts that kind of uh, have become so smart because of, you know, great content from places like the Food Network, uh, the Cooking Channel, et cetera that have kind of elevated over the last 10 years. What we're doing is we're kind of taking those graduates uh, that have kind of learned so much about food and giving them really immersive content that goes to the next level. So very pro level content. Hmm. A chef can sit down and look at our stuff and learn tips from other chefs. A food enthusiast can look at it and say, wow, I might try that once in my kitchen, but more, more than likely they like it uh, to watch it just for entertainment purposes. So we kind of have a hybrid between the two, both the enthusiast and the professional. In the ultimate monetization, you know, you've got lots of viewers. So is it advertising based? Are you selling, you know, products along the way? Or is it yep. just, what's the monetization? Yeah, so we have uh, five different revenue streams. Uh, obviously, advertising is the traditional stream that everybody understands with media. But we do a ton of data analysis with Foodable Labs, which is where we get most of our trend data that we've built over the years. So data is a big part of that, and that's data for brands that are trying to reach certain uh, demographics or certain interest areas. Uh, right. We also do a ton of production. So we have a whole group within the uh, Foodable Network team that just does everything from documentary work to commercials and so on. Uh, those are the three cornerstones and then we get into syndication and also licensing of our content when you get into places like on demand and over the top so that's kind of the breadth of the network in terms of the revenue stream you've built such an amazing reach both professional and on the consumer side um, have you ever done anything with in terms of taking that reach and making them in person so you got 250 million global food and travel enthusiasts what about a foodable tour a foodable cruise a foodable yeah. Well, we have an event called Foodable I.O., and it's held in Chicago. This will be its third year. 
and it's for kind of the super elite of food. Uh, this can be chefs, uh, brand executives, uh, high-end enthusiasts, uh, critics, uh, journalists that cover food around the world. Uh, we have that held every year, and, it, and we combine it with film. So it's kind of part conference and part film festival. Uh, we bring it together the day before the National Restaurant Association show, which is the biggest show in the food industry, about 80,000 people in Chicago on May 19th. So th that's our first one. Uh, but we're also starting to model Foodable I.O. Uh, I.O. stands for Input Output. And the idea is, is to create those in different uh, cities. So uh, Chicago is our first, obviously, down here in Miami, where we're based. And then we're looking at Los Angeles as well. And again, that would be you know, where we start to bring in uh, a lot more professionals. But also the idea is, is moving toward uh, you know, making that more of a festival type of approach for consumers as well. Food of Palooza. Yeah, there we <laughs> go. Hey. So you mentioned uh, native uh, type stuff. So give me an example. I mean, is this like where maybe a, a spice company um, um, might want to talk about some something, some kind of a new spice line that they're coming out with and, and you end up putting a production slash program together with them type of thing? Is this, this is sort of a rev, a rev stream for you and in, 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 in a native capacity? Yeah, so our shows, we have 15 shows on the network, and some are very popular that kind of trend towards certain areas, so everything from a bar show to a chef show, fine dining show, et cetera. And the way it works, native advertising or, or integrated storytelling, as we like to call it, is we take the sponsor or the partner, we learn a little bit about what they're trying to do, we integrate that into the story, we still maintain editorial control, we do product placement, uh, we do point hits in terms of what are their messages that they're trying to achieve. And then we match up their content or their particular product with the perfect operator or story that can marry the two together. And that becomes an episode on one of the shows. So like Table 42, uh, Fast Casual Nation, both of those shows are, are some of our popular shows that do really well with native advertising. Great. So but like your facilities, um, you, you've got, is this a big studio kind of operation? Is that uh, what you have there? Well, we've kind of grown. Uh, you know, we were just a small operation with a few editors. Uh, now we have multiple producers. We have a director of new media. We have a whole marketing team, social media, design, development, sound engineering, uh, motion graphics. All of that's under one roof now. And uh, we're getting ready to open the largest studio we've had to date, which will have a new kitchen studio, a new green and psych wall, uh, a, an unfoodable weekly set, which is our talk show, show set, uh, and then of course our operations. So it's kind of grown from what was once a YouTube operation, uh, building it and kind of getting the audience going to test the waters, to now what is really the largest, I believe the largest digital format for food video. We have about a thousand episodes out there and are producing about two to 300 episodes a year. Wow. So what's next? Uh, well, next is we believe there's going to be kind of a leverage uh, to the next phase of media. And that is going a lot more on demand and OTT, which as you can see, the cord cutter starting to, you know, kind of develop those markets. So we think there's going to be a, a, another jump, you know, uh, 10 years ago, it was a jump from you know magazines to the web and then from the web to social and the social to video 
uh, we think that there's going to be a jump uh, pretty heavily uh, to on-demand content. So you already see Netflix, Amazon, iTunes, and those uh, companies really spending a lot of money for original content. We're trying to prime the network to be in that position. So we know that that's probably a 10-year play, but we see in the next three to five years, that will maybe become 25 to 30% of our revenue opportunity as opposed to something like 10%, which is what it is today. So I have, I have to ask this question, Paul, because I, I, I love, I've been going to that Chicago houseware show uh -huh. for the last, uh, I've been 29 out of 30 years, McCormick Plaza, or McCormick, yeah. you know, the, the big trade show. Uh, facility there and so the food show the restaurant show I know is a big one also and right. uh, but when I think of food and foodable and what you're doing I start thinking of products right you know sure. what are the latest latest gadgets and you know blenders and choppers and mixers and so do you have any kind of plan to have any show that might be to you know B2C direct selling to the to the customer well, it's a very uh, good question, Kevin, <laughs> and I won't uh, reveal any cards, but yes, uh, obviously there is some directive moving that direction, mainly because our, our consumer audience is growing. On iTunes, we're about 50% consumer, and because of that, it's, it's really developing a new audience for us to potentially use product placement, product sales, uh, you know, direct response video, which is a new technology that's being used out there. Um, if that technology starts to increase and get more effective, I could see video becoming a huge uh, opportunity, especially web-based video uh, when it comes to direct response sales. Okay, great. So, and when you get to the point of being ready to do that, let, you know, I'd love to, we need to talk. Because <laughs> I've done a ton of kitchen products and, yeah. uh, and I just, it's a, it, people love to do things faster in the kitchen. And yes. I mean, I, at the last show, I found a toaster that, you know, it, that actually will um, toast from bread to toast in 10 seconds, okay? So, it's instead of just the, the old, you know, couple cow rods that are in there, this is a mesh system that heats up instantly into this infrared supercharged, you know, toasting process. And so, but beyond toast, it does this for chickens and you know, ovens and things like that. So it's a yeah. whole new technology that's launching. And I was privy to be in on the ground floor of this. Uh, so just, I love new products in the kitchen arena. So yeah. we'll talk later, but. And, and definitely with our new studio, um, we'll have demo capabilities there for both products, whether it's food products or, or you know, kitchen gadgets or uh, devices that can be used in the kitchen, whether it's chef or for the professional foodie as, as we like to say. Super. Yeah. With all the success you've achieved, uh, what's your biggest challenge? You know, I think with most companies today, it's still talent. Um, as we grow, being able to have really great producers, editors, uh, designers, because our stuff is so visual, um, it really requires a certain kind of eye, especially when you're trying to put out content that can be at the level of, say, a chef's table, which is you know, some of the best food porn out there on Netflix, but that's the kind of content we have to put out. And uh, because of that, it requires really great people. And I think that's still our biggest challenge today. Like most businesses that are mostly human, you know, human operated, operated business that you have to scale with people. 
so that's that's the thing that we have to learn how to do so we can get to 30 shows and really kind of um, move us to the next level in terms of content development. And Paul, have you, have, have you ever considered actually creating a show for the cable networks? Is that in the plans or is that kind of the, yes. the you know, the competitor of yours and you don't want to go there? No, not at all. Um, we've been approached by several cable companies uh, to develop content specifically for them um, that would be geared around or within our show structure, or at least our, our you know, expertise area being food and kind of the professional area. We also have deals on, on uh, the table right now with some other over-the-top partners that will be original content-oriented uh, content. Uh, but licensing is a big part of our roadmap. So we are very interested in working with mainstream cable. And listen, as content, because content is, is the biggest issue right now with um, most of the, of the networks, especially when it comes to food. Uh, because outside the food network, there's very few real high-end producers. And we like to think we're probably the next guy in line uh, when it comes to great show development. Uh, and, you know, we've got 25 years of experience in this industry, so we've got a calling card that can get into just about anywhere. And uh, that's the biggest challenge you have in making great content. You've got to have access, and we do have that. So definitely looking at um, uh, cable and other types of on-demand uh, distribution. And do, do you find yourself having a capability of finding some of these new maybe celebrity uh, type chefs? And is that something that's kind of, because uh, I mean, all of a sudden Rachel Ray came out of, you know, doing right. cable to TV and then boom, she's, you know, a global star, but somebody discovered her somewhere way yeah. back, right? You know? That is our secret weapon and it's called Foodable Labs. And Labs was developed uh, several years ago. It's an algorithm that basically uses a massive database of food terms and we watch what happens on, on multiple social media networks. And we basically garner the sentiment that's coming in from different chefs, restaurants, food types, et cetera. And we watch those percolate to the top. So we have our foodable top 25 in 15 cities. That's the top 25 restaurants as rated by the consumers in those cities. And because of that, it, it uncovers these emerging chefs which are the next stars of five years from today, who we're looking at. Today, it's guys like David Chang in New York or Roy Choi in, in Los Angeles. Five years ago, people didn't even know who they were. Social media kind of moved them to the front of the plate. Right. We've got, I don't know, hundreds of those types of talents that are out there that we work with every day. That's fabulous. I love yeah. it. So it, and with with the instant social media kind of response mechanisms, you get a chance with the lab to analyze and really kind of understand the you know the 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 love for these people on a very fast basis and kind of create stars in a quicker fashion than the old days, I guess, right? You really do because now you're learning almost whether or not they have a built-in audience. So you can tell with consumers if they love a chef because of their food or their style or just because they're a little snarky, whatever it may be. Um, but we can identify that pretty quickly, even to the level of what kinds of dishes that people love about them. You know, when you go to Momofuku, which is a David Chang restaurant in New York, again, five years ago, it was just emerging. Now it's kind of like all the rage, multiple locations. But those types of talents are 
a lot more frequent than you would think today. So Food Network, of course, had to develop out a lot of the Rachel Ray's and Bobby Flay's and, you know, those types of, and you know, Guy Fieri's of the world. Today, we think those stars will come from social media and the consumer mindset rather than what maybe, a, you know, a TV executive producer might uh, think is going to work. Gotcha. Uh, a lot of difference uh, in today's analysis of the new stars. Super. Anything else you want to share with us that we didn't think to ask you? Absolutely fascinating business, fascinating story. Yeah, I, I think, you know, when, um, when we look at kind of the evolution, one thing that we've, we've kind of discovered on our own was that the um, professional and the uh, foodie or the enthusiast are, are merging. And what we do see in the future, uh, we think, is kind of a, a super educated uh, industry, whether it's a food consumer or a chef, where there's going to kind of become a, a melting pot of these two areas. It used to be the chef was almost untouchable. Uh, now people are much more entrenched in communicating directly with chefs and brands in a, a whole new way. Because of that, we think it's going to create a new genre of content that uh, will be elevating across these networks. And hopefully we're one of the companies that will be able to bring that kind of content to light. So it's kind of a new fun uh, frontier, a little bit still wild west, because obviously video is still very new and all the tools are uh, constantly changing, which is uh, uh, one thing that we're, we're always trying to stay ahead of for sure. So I'll give you my final thought, Paul. It's, it's great to, to have met you and thank you for being here today. But Wolfgang Bach, who I've, you know, he's, I won't call him a personal friend, but I've been seeing him a number of times. He's been huge on Home Shopping Network. He's done a billion dollars in sales at Home Shopping Network selling gadgets and knife sets and steam ovens and, you know, the like. So, you know, I think he built his brand, you know, opening restaurants and uh -huh. He's continued the brand with products and uh, licensing and things like that. So it's, um, I love the industry you're in. It's, you know, I've been, I've done hundreds of uh, kitchen and, and food and houseware infomercials. And I uh, just want to thank you for, for being part of our, our show today. And I think you're, you're, you're really uh, in a great industry and look forward to staying in touch and following your success going forward. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Kevin. We appreciate it. Thanks so much for listening to this special productivity series of the Direct Response Marketing Podcast. I've interviewed hundreds of the most successful entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and CEOs all over the world, and I want to share with you one of the biggest ways I've discovered to triple your productivity that I've learned from these amazing people. Even better, I'll pay you $500 to test drive it. Just go to take the500challenge.com. That's www.takethe500challenge.com to learn more. Thanks so much for listening. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.